Good morning. This, we want to continue in 1 Thessalonians, and I'm going to be reading from 1 Thessalonians 4 and 1 Thessalonians 5. I'm taking a break from the multiple readers because I'm so used to reading the following text, and I felt like I needed to read it again in this different context. 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 is a scripture that I often read at funerals. And it's an appropriate reading for a funeral. But at the same time, I realize that the writers intended in its original context not only to be a comfort to those who were grieving, but to be a word of exhortation, to be a word that calls all of us to be alert And pay attention to the way we live. So with that in mind, here's the word of the Lord. Now we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, concerning those who've fallen asleep, so that you don't grieve like the rest who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose up, even so, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we tell you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who remain here until the coming of the Lord, will in no way precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a command, with the voice of the archangel, and with God's trumpet. The dead in Christ will rise first. Then we, the living who remain here, will be taken up together with them in the clouds, to a meeting with the Lord in the sky. And then we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, you must encourage one another with these words. And that's what we've done this morning. Just as we do often at a funeral, and it's an appropriate encouragement to those who can be reminded that their loved ones are not lost to them, and that there will be a reunion. But keep in mind that the writers are also correcting a problem in Thessalonica. They're addressing a different kind of concern. Keep in mind the situation there, okay? It's somewhere in the middle of the first century. This congregation in Thessalonica is maybe not even a, in a year into its existence. The, uh, the journeys of, of Paul into this Mission field are not even a decade on. Maybe less than five years they've been at this. And this movement of believers, even in the non-Jewish world, is certainly not more than a quarter of a century old. Now think about that. We talk about the innovations that we've seen in the last 10, 20 years they are just now realizing that this message about a man who claimed to be the Son of God and was crucified is in fact risen from the dead and there are witnesses and that is changing reality and turning the world upside down. That's the world that they live in. And if you were part of that world, wouldn't you expect that if they said, oh and by the way, the story's not finished, he's coming back? Wouldn't it be your automatic reaction to think, yeah, that'll come in my lifetime. 
I want to be around to see that. I want to be there. And now some 20 centuries later, I think we've lost that expectation. Because more of us have passed on before the Lord has returned than there are who wait for that return. And so we anticipate doing other things. We write down bucket lists. This is something that I want to do. Now, do you know why it's called a bucket list? It's not called a bucket list because you've got a bucket and you're putting stuff in it. It's called a bucket list because you're going to do this before you kick the bucket. And I don't know why kicking the bucket is a euphemism for death, but that doesn't matter. We get all excited. Before I kick the bucket, I want to go to Times Square and see the ball drop. Before I kick the bucket, I want to go and climb the Leaning Tower of Pisa. News, they won't let you climb it. Anyway, all of these things we put on there that we want to do before we die. If you have a bucket list, then God bless you. I'm okay with that. That's fine. I just need to confess to you that me personally, a bucket list is not for me. I've got some problems with a bucket list because it just sets me up for failure. You see, what happens if I've got, say, 100 things on my bucket list and suddenly I, I, I just finish them all off? Some of you are saying, well, now, you'll never finish off everything on your bucket list like that. Well, you don't understand. Number one on my bucket list is to win the lottery. So then once I do that, the other 99 are going to come about. That's if I had a bucket list. Okay, but... Say I do all of that, then I've done all the items on my bucket list, then what? Well, catch up on old movies, maybe read some books and sit around and wait for the Grim Reaper. That's all you can do. Or what if you have all of these items on your bucket list and you get through about half of them and then the Grim Reaper shows up? Why, you're only 50% of a success in life. How about that? He did these things, these other things, he failed. See? And if you're not constantly working on that bucket list, then what are you doing? If they're that important. The believers in Thessalonica had a very different idea of what it was they were looking forward to. They thought that Jesus would come back in their lifetime. That's the one thing, the one thing they were waiting on. We're here that man that's risen from the dead, he ascended to heaven, he is active in his church, he's active among his people, but he has told us he's coming back. When will that happen? Soon. One of the things that the church often said was, come soon, Lord Jesus. Hurry up. We're waiting for this. Because when you arrive, that means that there's truly going to be peace on earth. Not just a Christmas card greeting, but truly, there's going to be peace, there's going to be justice, we're going to be living in the new heaven and the new earth, it's going to be good. And they were looking forward to that. But then, some of their folks started dying. Now what? And their concern was, is that, well, they're going to miss out on this, aren't they? I mean... If they're not around when the Lord comes back, then they're dead. What now? They, they missed out. 
They didn't achieve that on their bucket list, did they? And the writers to the Thessalonians say, no, 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 we don't want you to be misinformed. The ones who have fallen asleep in the Lord, they're not behind us or left out. They're just a step ahead. And they are not going to go before us when the Lord returns. And the rationale for this, it's like, okay, that's a great idea, but what what backs it up? Well, what backs it up is God's got this all figured out. He's got a model in game. Now, your in game is your strategy at the end of a game, say like chess or or um, even football, and it's, you know, it's your, in football they call it the two-minute warning. This is when you're going to get everything worked out, and you know how to end the game for victory. God has a model in game for all of time, and he has it worked out. He's got his strategy. We may not know every bit of it, but we know a few things. All of those items that are mentioned in this letter, that God gives a command. The Lord is going to return with a command. Now, it's not just a a shout like somebody hooping and hollering, okay? This is more than that. It's determined. It is a battlefield command. It is the voice of the archangel. It's the upper echelon of the hosts of heaven. And then there's that trumpet. Now, that frightens some of us in an a cappella tradition. We're thinking, oh, no, they're going to start the instrumental worship then. Um, what you need to understand is that this trumpet is not really a musical instrument. It's a big old, huge, long, I'm sorry, Brent. It's not a musical instrument. It is battlefield communications. It's just a noisemaker which I guess is a kind of an instrument, but the point is not to play a pretty tune on it. The point is to give out directions to make sound. And as we were talking uh, this morning, we used to do the same thing with a big old length of PVC pipe when we were putting in our well house as kids. And, you know, you just get on the, the, the back end, bar, 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 and you start making noises. You can't really make much of a song on that, but people can hear it. It's sort of like that Ricola commercial, you know, where those, those Alporn guys are out there blowing that thing and everyone can hear it. And they shout Ricola. And, uh, and boy, when you, you know, they, they have to take their cough drops to keep it going. Um, the Lord has this worked out and everything that's going to happen is going to be a set of commands that says this is how we're going to do it. This idea of the trumpet, we know this from reading um, historical texts like Josephus in his description of uh, uh, the movements on the battlefield and that this trumpet, this, this particular type of trumpet was used to sound commands that would tell the troops when to stand, when to move, sort of like Reveille in the military now, it would tell people what to do because you've got to get this communication out there into a field. So the sum takeaway of these images is that when the end comes, It's not just about us going to heaven, it's about heaven coming to us. It's about heaven invading this world. And it's a good invasion. It's the cavalry. It is the, we are waiting for this. We are waiting for them to show up. And when they do, we are ready to follow the commands. The shout, the voice of the archangel, and the trumpet. We know our movements. We're just waiting for the signals. 
The message is the Lord has this worked out. And so our grief about those who aren't going to be there, well, it gets wrapped up in hope. Because those who are asleep, they're not lost. Those who remain are going to be gathered up. Now this is different than what you see in a lot of uh, popular Christian thought, where being left behind is a real problem. Here, the left behind are the ones who are still in the enemy-occupied territory. We are the troops that are still stationed here in this world. They have gone on, the ones that we've lost, the ones who are asleep, but we remain here on duty, and we're going to be ready. And then there's this description of the Lord descending. Notice that it's not just us going to heaven, but heaven comes towards us. The Lord descends. He gathers up all of those who are asleep. And then we're all going to have this meeting in the air. And it's a lot like the phrase that we talk about. It's literally a come to Jesus meeting. I don't know when that started, that phrase, when people said, well, I'll tell you what. Some of us are going to just have a come-to-Jesus meeting. You know, it's, it's kind of like the last meeting where we settle some things. Well, maybe it comes from this text. But here, he does mention there's going to be a meeting in the sky. We're going to have a reunion. We're going to come to Jesus. So, you know that that's coming your way. You're going to be ready. And that's where the rest of this text comes in, that we don't always read at funerals. But we need to hear today. Because whenever we talk about this stuff at the end of time, we cannot resist the urge to say, yeah, but when's that going to happen? How are you going to know? They've been, they've been asking Jesus that when he was here on earth. How, what are we going to see? What are the signs? What, how are we going to know? Look at what's going on in the Middle East. Don't you think the, the end is near? Look at what's happening over here. I've got this crazy cousin who says he's a prophet and you know maybe maybe some of this stuff is true i mean it seems to fit right okay here's the message for that when we get caught up in the when and the how and the mechanics of it now then brothers and sisters about the times about the seasons you have no need that anything be written to you, for you yourselves correctly know that the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night. As when some are saying, peace and safety, then sudden destruction will come on them. As when an expectant mother suddenly has birth pains. This is an inescapable future event. But you, brothers and sisters, aren't in darkness that the day should alarm you like a thief, You are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night, nor of darkness. So let's not sleep as the rest do. Rather, let's be alert. Let's be sober. For those who sleep, sleep in the night. And those who are drunk, get drunk in the night. But since we live in the day, let's be sober, putting on armor of faith and love and a helmet of hope and salvation. For God didn't set wrath on us, but the benefit of salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us. And whether we wake, whether we sleep, we may live together with Him. Therefore, you must encourage one another and build each other up 
just as you are doing. Notice another command to encourage one another. This time, the encouragement is stay awake. Be alert. You're children of the day. You're not going to be surprised. You know what you need to know. And, and here's the thing. We, we need neither an anxiety about, well, what's going to happen and when? I have to kind of know what the signs are so that I can get ready because I want to know this stuff. I want to prepare. Jim Baker's up in Branson, Missouri telling me I need to buy all these buckets because disaster is coming and I need to stock up on food for the end times. And boy, he's, not, he's got some Bible behind that. Maybe I better pay attention to a guy like Because what if he's right? Well, what if he is right? If he is, I'm not going to spend all my time sitting around eating broccoli, rice, cheese, casserole out of a five-gallon slop bucket. It's not how I want to spend my time. But neither do we need to be anxious like that, nor do we need to have a dismissive attitude that says, ah, well, you know, that end-time stuff, you know, it doesn't matter. Nobody really understands it anyway, so just, just, just move on because we got more important things to do. No, we need to have some attention about where this is all going. And I'm more concerned that our lackadaisical attitude about the promised return of the Lord makes us unaware and unready of what's going to happen. We, we kind of get overconfident. We think that the most important thing is, what are we going to buy someone for Christmas? We think the most important thing is, where are we going this year for Christmas? We think the most important thing is, what are they going to serve for Christmas? Because this matters. Because if we make Mima's dressing... That's good, but if we make gang gang's dressing, that's not good. we got to make sure that the right grandmother makes the dressing for us, because if not, then all of human existence will be a disaster, and 2021 will go in the record books as horrid. And that's the kind of stuff we get caught up in when we forget where all of existence is really going. The writers of, to the Thessalonians say, you don't have to be worried about this, and we don't need to tell you anything because you already know everything that you need to know. You are not children of the darkness. You are children of the light. You're ready. Now, when the day of the Lord comes like a thief in a night, don't take the analogy too far. That just means it's unexpected. Thieves are not in the habit of announcing when they're going to come by and rob your house. You know? They look for the opportunity when you least expect it. I, I, I knew a guy once who, who robbed houses. Some of you knew him too. And I remember there was a story in the news about somebody in Texas uh, meeting the thief with a 12-gauge and ending his uh, career as a, as a master robber and I said, you know, were you ever worried that that would happen to you when you were ripping people off? And he said, I usually tried to wait until they were out of the house. That's why I would make a bad thief, because I wouldn't think of that. I wouldn't think of that right there. Yeah, yeah. So thieves show up when you don't expect it. That's, that's, that's the whole point there. He says, but we're not unaware. We're ready. We're ready for this. 
It's nighttime. It's darkness. Uh, That's when people get drowsy. That's when people get drunk. That's when they get a false sense of security. And I tell you, we can get a false sense of security if we think that everything's just hunky-dory and we're not prepared for God's model in-game. Instead, we're called to be people of the daytime, people of the light, alert, sober-minded, clear-headed, and we're equipped. Notice the language he uses here. It's a lot like that Ephesians text, isn't it? Ephesians 6. And just to prove to you that the armor is not literal, I mean, there's, the armor is a little different, all right? This armor is just basically body armor and a helmet. He didn't go into all the details. Well, they don't need to go into all the details. They're getting the point across. You're going to be armored up with the armor of faith and love, which essentially is your conduct. The way you conduct yourself, the way you behave, it's going to be marked out by faith, your trust in God, and love, the love you show to one another. The letter's been all about that up till this point. And the helmet that you're going to wear to protect your head or to protect your mind, to protect your thoughts, your attitude, is your hope in salvation. That we have a certain confidence and we have a certain awareness about where all this is going. That God did not intend to lay on us His wrath, but He has given us this promise, this hope of salvation. That makes us ready. Because when you know what's going to happen, you're ready. When you know what you're up against, you're ready. And the encouragement that we give to one another is to just stand your ground. Be encouraged. Don't give up. We say things today like, well, I guess if all of that is happening and it's good, you ought to lean into it. That's what he means when he says you should encourage one another with these words. He says you need to build each other up. And just to take apart the word encourage, notice that this is more than just I want to make you feel better. This is I want to somehow extend to you a certain amount of courage so that you don't falter. We know all that we need to know. We know that Christ will return. We know that because of His grace and because of obedience, because of His goodness, He does not intend to lay His wrath on us, but He intends to save and rescue us. We just need to be ready for that. So, when Christ returns, He is returning to rule. Not to sneak up and catch everybody, but He's returning to rule. We just need to follow the leader. Follow the leader then, which means follow the leader now. About 77 years ago, December 16, 1944, the Allies were winning World War II. D-Day had been over for about six months. The Allied forces, the British, the Americans, other Allies... We're marching through Europe to the, to the west, and, or to the east, and they were, they were taking over territory and they were making their march, making their move towards Germany. Everything was pretty routine. There's a 75-mile-long stretch of the battlefield line in the Ardennes Forest in Belgium. 
And on December 16th, 1944, the Allies, who were tired, some of them young and inexperienced, were surprised by a pushback of 200,000 German troops and over 1,000 German tanks. That is the bulge in the line that became known as the Battle of the Bulge. They weren't prepared for it. They weren't ready. But once they were there, and once this German surge pushed in on them, they stood their ground. They had to hold on. And for the next five to six weeks, they would hold on until they could say success. We can look back from our vantage point and we can say, yeah, they succeeded. But on December 16th, you can't say that. Lieutenant Herb, Herb Jacobs was a, um, he was a member of the 517th Parachute Infantry. They interviewed him a few years ago because he was there. They said, what kept you going? He said, honestly, I don't know what kept us going most of the time. He said, other than the fact that we couldn't surrender because we were out of everything, we were freezing, we had no supplies, but neither did the Germans. So we just held on. He said that his focus was to do the best job he could so that they could all get out alive. He said, all I cared about was getting these guys out alive, including myself. Church, that's the kind of focus we need in this world is that we're just going to stand, we're going to encourage one another, we're not going to give up. And if you think, that the world of darkness and the world of night has something better than what we have, forget it. They don't have any more than we do. In fact, they have a lot less. And we know, unlike the Allies in 1944, we know for sure who's going to win. We just need to armor up and stand. When... We come around the Lord's Supper on a Sunday. We remember words of Jesus in Matthew, among others. He says, do this in remembrance of me. We look back. This is my body, which was given for you. We look back. This is my blood. It's a cup of the new covenant. It was poured out for you. We look back. But there's one phrase that Jesus says. I won't drink this cup again. Until I drink it with you, and it'll be a new occasion in the kingdom that is to come. And with that, we look forward. We're going to sing this song, and Barry Neal is going to lead us around the Lord's Supper table.